Him to step into this moment, to step into our lives, and to set us free. Now we ask, let your word just reinforce the grace we just experienced. Let it convict us and convince us that you can be the strength, the hope, and the power of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good and turn to the word here. <clears throat> and uh, we're doing Wild Women Summer, as you know, and there's still a little summer yet. That's right, kids are not back to school, so a little summer yet, so we got a few more to go. And uh, today we're doing uh, Bathsheba. So let's see. Uh, how many of you know the story of David and Bathsheba? Come on, every hand ought to be up. Most of you should know that story, right? Um, and <clears throat> if you don't, hang in. It's all in. 2 Samuel 11. So if you're not totally familiar with the story, you can read that uh, today, 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And that's where we're going to stay uh, for the day. So you got your Bibles, you got your app open, whatever it is, just get there, uh, 2 Samuel 11, or you can use the, the insert handout um, that I gave you today. Well, as we get into understanding Bathsheba, it's, it's impossible to understand Bathsheba without equally including an understanding uh, David, obviously, in this experience, because David is really the prime actor uh, in uh, in the experience. And uh, last week, I think it was, Pastor Andrew gave you uh, just a great message on uh, David and bringing kind of up speed on David and Saul, right? And that the whole experience of David becoming king. Well, David and Bathsheba, that experience is after David uh, is solidly uh, entrenched and emplaced as king. I mean, he's been king now for a while, okay? Uh, and you pick it up in 2 Samuel 11, and we get a really important lesson, just a really important biblical principle uh, right away in 2 Samuel 11. It's so easy for us to miss it, but it's, so, it's just like right there for us. So don't want you to miss the key point from this. It starts out by saying, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go to war, so what do kings normally do in the spring of the year? They go to, they go to war, okay? This is not a pop quiz. The answer's right on the page, okay? It's open book. You can get there. It's open book stuff, right? So what's he telling you? So look, this is what kings do. This is what kings do. In the spring, kings are supposed to go to war because the roads are open, the weather's good again. The army is rested. The guys are like, can't wait to get out of the house and get a little war going on. I mean, you know, they got all this pent-up energy stuff. I mean, this is just what kings do in the spring. So if you're a king, what are you supposed to do in the spring but go to? You're with me. Thank you. You're supposed to do that, right? Now, David is king. He's king. So God has put David in that position of being king. He is in the position, his purpose, his intention, what God has designed and desires for David's life is that David be king. And as king, he is supposed to be the prince of Israel. He's supposed to defend God's people from all foreigners and invaders. He's supposed to extend the borders of Israel so they encompass all of the land that God said, this is yours, right? He is supposed to be the one that is out in front and defending God's people and defending the promised land. He is king and it's spring, which means in God's purposes, David should do what? He should go to... That's what he's supposed to do. 
All the kings do it. But David, that's, that's what he's supposed to do if he is in sync with what God has designed and desired and the position that God has placed him in life. If he follows his intention of what God desires, he would go to war. Look at the text. David, well, David sent Joab in the Israelite army to fight the Amorites. They destroyed the Amorite army and laid siege to the city of Reba. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. What did David just do? He stepped out of what God's intention and purpose for his life was. And he stayed in Jerusalem. So here's the principle. When you step away from God's intention and purpose in your life, you are opening the door and the opportunity for temptation. When you get off purpose, when you get out of sync with, with God's direction in your life, you are opening the door of opportunity for temptation. And we see it in David. So what happens? Well, late one afternoon, after his midday rest, tough day to be king, right? Got a little nap in. After his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. So David's outside of his intention. He is outside of his purpose. And what happens? The opportunity for temptation becomes available. Now, scholars are, by the way, all over the board on this Bathsheba, right? Taking the bath thing. And, and so we just kind of need to be honest as we get into this story here. And we've got to be careful with, with Bathsheba. Because scholars, as they, they, they do this, I mean, this is kind of like one picture, right, of Bathsheba taking a bath. But the reality is we just don't know. We just don't know what Bathsheba's intentions were around this whole experience. We just don't know. Uh, some scholars look at this text and they'll say, well, Bathsheba was this temptress, right? She was just this temptress out there on the roof, you know, buck naked, taking a bath in the cistern in front of everybody. And she was just setting David up, right? Some scholars actually say that, right? Uh, other scholars will be at the other end and say, oh my gosh, that is so far from the truth. No way. Bathsheba was, yes, on the roof, and yes, she was probably taking a bath, but she was probably just taking a simple sponge bath because she was getting the sweat of the day off of her, and she was just up there just taking a sponge bath, and it's all David and David's imagination, right? Um, the truth is, we just don't know. We just don't know, right? We just don't know the attitude of Bathsheba's heart in this experience. So what can we say? I think it's fair, and, and I want to be careful about this, especially for you ladies, but I mean, I think it's fair for us to have a simple understanding from this whole bath-on-the-roof experience. And it's just a simple understanding that says, you know what, even when you're doing something normal, you need to be cautious and careful 
of the messages you send. Can, is that okay? I mean, even if, even if you're doing something normal, right? I mean, if you're doing something normal in the office, right, with your coworkers and stuff, I mean, you still have to be aware as a Christ follower and be careful about the messages that you're sending, right? You've got to be careful. We don't know Bathsheba's intentions. But what we do know is the message it sent enticed David. It created temptation in David's life. And so David sent someone to find out who this woman was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Okay? Now, I don't know if you, you, you can see that in this one verse, but this is an incredible resume. Okay? For Bathsheba, wow, this is like an incredible resume, right? And everything in her resume should be saying to David right now, hands off! No! Don't do this! I mean, first word, right? What, what does the guy come back? He says, isn't this Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? She is the wife. Stop there. Just stop right there. Right? I mean, shouldn't that be enough? Shouldn't, shouldn't that be kind of this poster where the lights go off and, and they say, David, no. <laughs> no, because she is what? The wife of Uriah. Right? God's word is clear on this. There's no debate on this. There's no reinterpretation of this. It is absolutely clear on this that if David moves forward in this experience and he follows his own desires, he's going to enter into adultery. It's not a question. Everything right there says, David, no, stop, don't go there, no. I mean, in, in the Old Testament, it's clear, look, this, no, David, this is adultery. You get to the New Testament and you get Jesus telling we who are Christ followers saying, listen, if you even go there in your head, you've gone too far, right? If you even think that way, you've gone way too far. Guys, are you listening? If you even think in your head, you've gone way too far. No, don't go there, right? Second, it's not just that she's somebody's wife. She's Uriah's wife. And Uriah, Uriah is one of David's 30 mighty men, right? So David's got 30 mighty men. These are 30 guys that, that they are his warriors, man. They are the people that get it done. You know, this is not just some, you know, slob out there on the front lines. These are his guys. These are the ones that protect his back. They're the ones that win the battles. I mean, they're the ones that are out there, right? And Uriah is one of his guys. He's one of those 30 mighty men. That should be enough. Somebody's wife. And after all, it's not just somebody. It's Uriah. And then you follow her, her resume one put, point deeper, and you say, well, wait a minute. She's the daughter of Elam. What does that mean? Well, Elam was part of the 30 men also. He was David's personal bodyguard. He was the one who protected David's back personally. I mean, wouldn't you think that would be enough for David to say, no, the guy's got my back. I'm not going to betray him. And then you go to the next level and you see that she is the granddaughter of another guy 
who is one of the 30 mighty men, and he is a respected counselor in David's cabinet. He, he gives David advice. David listens to him about what he ought to... Do you get the picture that not only is this woman of incredible resume family, right? But all the way along, this ought to be saying what to David? No! No! Don't go there! This means not only acting contrary to God's word, but it means betraying some of his most important and trusted relationships. And all of that ought to say to David, no, no. And then you look at Bathsheba, and we don't know a lot about Bathsheba, but we know she comes from an incredible family, right? Incredible family. And we know from the text, it appears she desires to be faithful. She desires to be faithful and follow in, in God's teachings and truths. Because the text says in verse 4, she had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Right? What is she doing? She is following the law. She is being faithful. And so here is this incredible family that she comes from, and here is this woman that gives every appearance that she is faithfully following in relationship with God. And all of that ought to say what to both of them? No. No, don't go there. And yet both of them, both of them end up powerless and trapped in their own desires. And that powerlessness and that trap creates its own consequences. Now here's the sad truth. We can look at this story and say, oh man, David, Bathsheba, what, what were you thinking, right? What, what were you doing? But that happens every single day in our lives. Some of you are stuck right there with them. Some of you are stuck right there with them. That there is, there is something that's got a hold of your life and you're absolutely powerless. Maybe it's a relationship that's going on in the office that you know should not be happening and you keep doing it anyway. Maybe you're trapped just like Bathsheba. You're trapped and you just can't say no. You're in an abusive situation and you just don't reach out. This isn't just an Old Testament story. This is every day. And whenever we get in submission to that power, when we become powerless, it gives birth to consequences. Oh my gosh, David and Bathsheba. They become powerless. David cannot restrain himself. And so he sends for Bathsheba, brings her to the palace, he sleeps with her, 
She completed that rite of purification, which in biblical terms is a way of saying, listen, she is at the right time to get pregnant. She goes back home, and of course what happens, she discovers she is pregnant, and she sends David a message saying, I'm pregnant. And things just get worse. They just spiral. Everything just seems to get worse from that point on. And the consequences begin to multiply. David decides he's going to know. He's going to handle the situation. And so he brings Uriah home. And he says, oh, Uriah, go you know, be with your wife. But Uriah is a good soldier. And he's more loyal than David is. And so he doesn't do that. And so then he has to go back to battle. So David sends a message and devises a plot and he makes sure Uriah is in the front lines and he makes sure that Uriah is killed. And so David has gone from being the king to becoming an adulterer to becoming a murderer. And Bathsheba. Bathsheba gives in to David's power and she says nothing. This is the difficulty with Bathsheba. Remember what family she comes from. She is surrounded by some powerful guys, and yet she, she's trapped. She is powerless, and she says nothing. She says nothing. She reaches out to no one. And when it's over for her, she is a widow, and she's pregnant. She mourns. David tries to make it right. He's going to cover it all up. He's going to make it okay. That's what we do, right? We, we, we got it under control. We can handle this thing. So David comes up. He's going to make it right. So now Uriah's dead. The time of mourning is over. And what does he do? He sends for her and brings her to the palace. And she becomes one of his wives. And she gives birth to a son, his son. But look at the last verse. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. What did David lose? What was the consequence? Not just the destruction that, that, that's going on, right? Not, and notice, they lose the son, right? The son dies. They lose the son. This is what happens. When we give into that powerlessness like that, it doesn't just hurt us. It hurts people around us. They lose the son. The son doesn't get a chance at life because of the consequences. And the big thing is, and the Lord is displeased with David. The favor that should be David's, right? He's the king. He's the prince. The favor that should be on his life is removed, right? This is God being displeased, by the way. In case you wonder what God looks like when he's displeased, that is it right there. Got the frown going and the displeasure thing, right? But what happened? David is forfeited. He's forfeited. Captured, trapped in the powerlessness, both David and Bathsheba. Now what? An amazing thing happens. An amazing thing that talks about the character of God. And here's the good news. Because some of you are trapped. Or you know people. You know people who are in this situation. And here's the good news. When you are powerless, 
there is a God who's willing to step into your life who is powerful. He will not let David and Bathsheba go. He will not let them go. And so God sends Nathan the prophet to tell David a story. God sends Nathan the prophet to confront David and to confront him, not just to convict him, but to create the opportunity for God's grace. That's what's going on. Nathan confronts David with a story. I mean, after all, he's the king. You can't just get in his face, right? So he confronts David, and he tells this great story. But the end result of the story is he's able to confront David in his sin so David can repent and get his life turned around. It says, David, it said Nathan said to David, You are the man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, look at this line. Don't miss this line. You ready? If that had not been enough, I would have given you, say it with me, much, much more. Is this incredible? What is God just saying? David, what were you thinking? What, what, what were you doing? I gave and I gave and I gave. You were living in tension. You were living on purpose. You were inside my will and desire and my favor was resting on, on you. And I gave and I gave and I gave. David, your life was moving in this awesome direction under my providence and my purpose. What were you doing to give up all that? And even now, David, I have more and so much more. This is awesome. I have more and so much more if you just face your powerlessness. If you just face it. I have more and so much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Amorites and you have stolen his wife. This is the amazing grace that God exhibits to David and to Bathsheba. They've messed everything up so bad, right? And yet God sends Nathan the prophet to give him a new start, to give him a new chance. You say, wow, that is incredible, right? You know what's more incredible? Here's what's more incredible. God looks at your life, and, and if you're powerless right now, if, if you're David, if you're Bathsheba, if you are trapped, you've got to understand, God will not let you go. He will not abandon you. And today is the day that your time of powerlessness ends. Today, it stops. Because he didn't just send to you Nathan a prophet. He sent to you, when you were powerless, he sent to you his own son. And his own son was powerless 
when he was whipped and beaten by the executioners. And his own son was powerless when they drove nails into his hands and his feet and put him up on a cross. And his own son was powerless when they took his dead, stiff body and stuck it in a tomb. And his own son, three days later, walked out of the tomb and said, No more. It's done. There is no power on earth that is greater than I am. There is no power in your life that is greater when you let Jesus Christ take over. He is more powerful than anything you're trapped in. He is more powerful than anything you've given in to. And today, whatever that is, it stops. It stops. Because Nathan the prophet came, because Jesus Christ came, and he will not let you go because he has more and so much. What? More. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? That's who he is. He will not let David and Bathsheba be in that powerless situation the rest of their life, and he will not let you do it either. Today, it stops. Because he has more, and so much more for your life. When we say no, God can still say what? Yes. We screw it up. When we mess it up, when we, everything should say no, no. When we just can't, when we're powerless, God can still say yes, yes to our lives. Look what happens to David and Bathsheba. It says, Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. He slept with her. She became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. And David named him what? Solomon. And who was Solomon? He became king. Wisest man on earth. In spite of all their mess up, right? In spite of their powerless, in spite of being trapped like Bathsheba was, God would not let her go. And she became the mother of a king wisest man on earth and, and you follow it through not only a king but the Lord loved this child and he sent the word through Nathan the prophet they should name him Jedidiah which means beloved of the Lord as the Lord had commanded that very favor and pleasure that David lost is now restored and it passes and rests on Solomon that is grace why? Because he has more and so much more. And yet, here's the coolest thing. If you go into Chronicles, it says, Now, David and Bathsheba had four sons. This is cool. Pay attention. They had four, four sons, okay? And there they're all listed for you there. Uh, uh, Shemu, uh, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon. Okay, so, like, do you notice anything right away? Okay, so Solomon's on the list. We already dealt with Solomon. But did you notice one of the other names that they gave to one of their sons? That would be Nathan. You see that name? Nathan. Who was Nathan? Nathan was the guy that God sent in his grace to get in David and Bathsheba's face about their brokenness and how powerless they were and was able to bring about that transition in their life that restored them to God's favor. And how do they respond to that? 
They have a child and they name him Nathan. So every day they get reminded what? Every single day they got a kid running around the house reminding them of God's grace. You need to find some way every single day when he releases you from whatever your trap is to get that in front of your face every day. I don't know what it is, man. Put it on your rearview mirror. I don't know what you do with it, but put it on your pillow. But get it somewhere, right? You don't have to have a child and name him Nathan. You, but if you do, that's good. But you don't have to do that. But, right, you got to get it in front of you to remember God's grace because he has more and so much more, and he proves it how. You go into Matthew 1. You go to the genealogy of Jesus, our Savior, and who is right there? Who's right there? God used this woman, Bathsheba, who was trapped and powerless. And when she couldn't say no, God still said yes. And through her, he did more and so much, what? More. So that through Bathsheba would come Jesus, the Savior of the world. You tell me. If you're trapped, if you're powerless right now, you tell me, can God God do more and so much more or what? Let's pray. Father, thank you. It is an amazing, amazing word of grace because we all mess up. We all get trapped. We all have that time when we know we should say no and we don't. And all we can do, Lord, is come to you today and ask, just let us receive the fullness of your forgiveness. Let us be like Bathsheba and see that you can do more and so much more in our life when we just surrender to you, when we say it is by your power, it is by your strength, It is by what you did on the cross. It's by your walking out of the tomb that we live and exist. So, Lord, we come to you today and we ask, not only forgive us, but empower us to say yes to you every single day so you can do more and so much more in our lives. Lord, we ask this. We humbly ask this as we pray together the way you taught us to pray, saying, Our Father...